Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining me today. Another incredible week for markets, obviously a little bit better for investors. So equity markets up over 5% from the trough that we saw on Tuesday. Uh, Bond yields are going higher, so that's not so good news for for bond investors. But maybe Manpreet, let's, let's, I've got with me, sorry, Manpreet Gill, who runs our fixed income currencies and commodities division. But maybe we'll start Manpreet with um, China, because that is obviously the most volatile area. We saw a bounce of around 15%. Um, in the latter part of the week after a 10% decline earlier in the week. So it's been a very volatile. So just get a sense, obviously policymakers have been making some comments. Do you think we've just had a whatever-it-takes moment? And do you think that the recent rebound is sustainable? Uh, hi, Steve. Um, well, it certainly is tempting to interpret it like that. Um, we've had, as I said before, a couple of eye-watering declines in, in Chinese and Hong Kong equity markets. And then we got a flurry of statements thereafter. But I, I think a few things stood out from from the policy statements. I think first is, uh, you know, Chinese policymakers said they'd actively release policies that are supportive for the market. Uh, they also said they'd coordinate any future regulation with financial management regulators. And we also had media reports that suggested there might even be a possible of achieving a deal with the U.S. regarding some of the U.S.-listed Chinese ADRs. Now, arguably, these statements, together with what's turning out to be an aggressive growth outlook uh, and some pretty oversold conditions uh, in Hong Kong and China equities, do brighten the outlook for Hong Kong and China equities to some degree. However, uh, you know, these high expectations, you know, whether it's a whatever it takes moment, does mean that markets are now likely to focus on the nature of delivery of actual policy uh, pronouncement. So I think that's going to be key in the coming weeks and months. Um, I, I think when it comes to the outlook for uh, Hong Kong and China's equities, I think from a long-term perspective, we are still still positive. And we think a lot of these measures should feed through in, into equity market returns. But I think in the near term, markets are likely to look for that evidence. So from a risk-reward perspective, you know, that long-only exposure is one route, of course, uh, to taking that. But, you know, another opportunity might actually sit in the high volatility itself. I mean, if you look at the volatility on the Hang Seng Index, for example, that's at the highest it's been in almost 10 years, if you exclude sort of the brief uh, COVID spike. So uh, selling that volatility to generate income is another way, we think, to navigate the near-term sort of uh, market environment. You do give up some of the potential upside should we end up getting a strong rally. But in return, this sort of strategy does offer you at least some downside protection if the period of volatility is not completely over. So that that's the way we'd sort of prefer to navigate the near-term environment. Yeah, so I, I guess you know China has been center actually of the bond market space as well, right? So we've seen the um, Asian high yield bonds, which is you know at the end of the day, a lot of it is China um, China high yield property um, bonds. Um, so, you know, they've been beaten up quite badly um, over the course of the past six months as well. And that's, you know, had accelerated earlier this year. Does the same logic you apply to the Chinese equity market apply to the property sector bonds? Well, to a degree, yes. I think some of the policy comments do offer room for optimism on the bond market as well. I think what's key is some of those comments show that policymakers do appreciate uh, the extent of the stress the, the property sector is facing. Uh, but I think what's different here is that uh, for the China high yield property sector, it's liquidity that, in our view, remains the key pressure point. Um, and that pressure, of course, in turn origi- originates from what's turning out to be a prolonged cash collection collection cycle um, on obviously weaker demand outlook. Um, 
you know, a lack of adequate access to refinancing channels, which we think is pretty leaky, and all of this, of course, coming when there's a ramping up of short-term liabilities. So um, you're right that the sector is you know, absolutely looking quite beaten up. I mean, if you look at sort of the China high yield index, for example, more than half uh, of the bonds in, in that index are trading at uh, prices of 60 cents on the dollar or lower. So those kind of returns usually point to pretty attractive uh, returns on a six to 12 month horizon. But I think the key from policy measures will be the comments are positive, but I think we need to see actual measures to address some of those liquidity pressures uh, to help avoid you know, further waves of debt restructuring. Yeah, I guess that the the experience over the last uh, few months shows that it's not necessarily for the faint-hearted. So we think it's a great opportunity, um, but um, it's certainly going to be a volatile road and not not a straight line path. Okay, let's move to the US. So obviously we saw the uh, FOMC. So we saw the first rate hike of the cycle uh, coming through from from the Fed, um, and they sort of indicated that we're going to see seven rate hikes this year, or that's at least their center of expectation at the moment. Um, and we saw changes to their economic uh, forecast. So can you give us a sense of what you make of the Fed uh, Fed meeting and also its implication for equity markets? Sure. And I, I think when you look at the Fed decision itself, I think from a market perspective, there are two things in particular that stand out. Um, one is that when you think about you know the rate projection of 2022, yes, there's seven rate hikes uh, at a median, but arguably that's already in the price when you look at market expectations. Um, so that's one factor. And second is when you think about the growth downgrade, I think that's one factor people have pointed out as a concern. Uh, but even the downgraded GDP growth forecast is still well above uh, you know the long-term uh, GDP growth trend for the U.S., which sits just below two percent in our view. Um, so that, and you put those two factors together, you know, our takeaway is that the Fed decision uh, doesn't really put uh, policy, you know, in the way of risky assets like equities. Uh, not this year, at least. Uh, you know, the context here is that over the long term, uh, through many cycles, we know equities can be volatile in the two, three months before and after the first rate, Fed rate hike, and we've seen that already in, in this cycle to some extent. But they do revert to the long-term trend thereafter. Um, the other factor is that if we see seven rate hikes this year, it means the upper bound of the Fed rate would reach 2% by the end of 2022. But given you know, inflation forecast, that would still leave real rates uh, negative. Uh, so, you know, had the Fed policy rate below where inflation is. So that means policy, of course, will, will come off zero. Uh, but we think that policy will still be quite accommodative given the nature of growth and inflation. Uh, and finally, more from a long, shorter term perspective, uh, you know, after the Fed decision, uh, we did get a bit of an equity rebound and that helped the S&P stay above key technical support, uh, which we think is actually, even from a shorter term perspective, uh, a positive. So yes, there are some longer term questions which you may have to address, you know, in, maybe in 2023 or later. But at least when you look at this year, uh, the positives in our view seem to dominate and, and you know, a policy that, you know, is rising off uh, ultra accommodative levels, but is still accommodative. Uh, that was the what we expected in our outlook 2022. And that seems to be what we're getting. We would keep an eye on several indicators of stress. You know, one of my favorites, of course, is still the yield curve. Uh, but these indicators are not flashing warning signs, um, you know, for now at least. So uh, we'd be positive unless one of those indicators really turns. Yeah, I think it's also difficult when we're looking at this this week's performance of equity markets to sort of 
decipher to what extent the Fed helped support the equity market because it was a hawkish statement, which would normally not be supportive, um, and, and what's going on in Russia, Ukraine. So obviously we saw um, you know, Russia and Ukraine talks uh, progressing. The US is obviously pouring water on the idea of anything happening in the near future. But I think you know, maybe people getting a little less concerned about this um, escalating further. So I think that might have helped sentiment, at least in the short term this week. Uh, maybe uh, finally, let's just talk about gold. I mean, if we rewind to when we released our 2022 outlook, you know, the one real non-consensus view that we had was that gold would rally. And that's uh, obviously one of the calls that's worked out for us this year. Um, maybe the drivers have been slightly different. It's not like we thought geopolitical risk was going to be a major driver. Um, but maybe looking forward um, you know, from here, we've obviously seen a rally. We've seen it test the 2020 high um, uh, and, and, and retrace a little bit. So what's the outlook from where we are today? Well, I think there, there are two sort of key learnings here. I think one is that gold has certainly proven itself as a, as a hedge against market volatility, you know, particularly one that's driven by geopolitics. Uh, but we also learned that that short-term driver can ebb and flow together with the headlines. And I think we need to obviously match that up against uh, some of the long-term drivers. Now, I think in terms of long-term drivers, uh, the Fed, as we said, is projecting seven rate hikes this year and most probably three in, in 2023. Um, but we actually think that is unlikely to be a big headwind for gold given that seems to be you know in uh, priced in by markets to a large extent so that that should uh, you know uh, not be a hurdle and if anything if we get pockets of volatility along the way gold could help lean against that the other factor uh, you know that could potentially drive gold is the US dollar um, and a weaker dollar if you recall is, is positive for gold in our view and it's interesting that yes we've got a bit of a spike in the dollar recently but in the bigger picture the dollar really hasn't rallied in a big way or a consistent way across most currencies. So we view the US dollar trend as a little bit more neutral for now. Uh, and of course, we expect you know, an eventual turn lower in the US dollar. So we think that factor, if anything, could end up being supportive for gold uh, in the long term. And, and the final point is that, you know, just looking through the Ukraine crisis specifically, um, the nature of recent sanctions have once again raised questions about what constitutes an appropriate safe haven or a reserve asset, uh, whether you're looking from an individual or a sovereign perspective. So we could see that factor, of course, supporting physical demand. Now, that's the long-term factors. If you look at the short term, uh, given we've got a bit of a pullback from the rally, um, you know, we think this pullback is forming a technical bottom, uh, with 1875 in particular turning out to be a key support. So as long as that holds, we do think a bottoming process could occur, and we'd expect a rally that once again tests a 2000 level, a break of which, of course, could lead us right back to uh, 2070 levels. Okay. Um, well, thanks, Manpreet. It's uh, a pleasure speaking to you as always. Uh, and thank you, listener, for joining us today. Uh, as always, if you like what you've heard, please feel free to uh, review and subscribe to our uh, Money Insights podcast channel, uh, which is obviously available on Google, Apple and Spotify podcast channels. Uh, you can also view our content, uh, a lot of our content on uh, LinkedIn Wealth Insights page. Uh, obviously, that includes some of our publications, blogs, uh, opinion editorials, and uh, you know, TV and radio interviews. Uh, with that, uh, I will sign off. Uh, thanks again, Manpreet. Please take care, stay safe, and until next week. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights.